2: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday. we am used to doing it on Mondays, but it's our Thursday, March or April eleventh, twenty nineteen edition of Invest Talk, and I welcome all of you to the show today. I'm uh, hopefully you will participate, come and join in on the conversation, because that's really what this hour is about. It's a conversation with you. Uh, about what is on your mind, what is important to you when it comes to your money. And that's really what uh, our goal is each and every day is to help answer those questions. And we can do that by bringing up topics of our own to discuss, but ultimately we want to hear from you. We want to know what's on your mind. 8899 chart 889924278 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, our main talking point today is about the group of stocks that could make or break the market rally, we're really going to be talking about small cap stocks, small cap stocks, and small cap stocks are usually lower than, say, $5 billion in market cap, and they tend to be they're not the blue chips, right? They're gonna be a little more up and down than your average stock that's out there. And if they're not doing very well, that is uh, uh, something to consider for the entire market, okay? And especially when it comes to earnings. So it's gonna be very, very important to see where that goes, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that as well. But I wanna hear from you. 888-99-CHART is how you get through and ask uh, your question on today's show. I have also, let's take a look at the, the market today. We had a pretty modest uh, down day in the markets uh, overall. The Russell w- was down, like I said, the NASDAQ was down slightly, transportation was up, that's a positive. Uh, commodities were down, housing, surprisingly, was up today. Uh, you know, the, the interest rates on, on mortgages have come down. And that certainly helped the market, or helped the, the housing market. And I talked maybe three months ago about how higher interest rates are going to feed into a negative housing market, and you're starting to see those numbers come out. But what you're actually going to see probably over the next few months is actually these lower interest rates are going to now be a tailwind for the overall market. So that's really something that you need to, uh, you need to understand about the market is it's looking forward right And so that's why housing stocks have done pretty well this year if you look and you would say, well the housing market's slowing. we talked about that. but really housing stocks have been doing well since the end of October while the overall market remains well below the levels of, of, of early October. So uh, this these are these little these these little correlations that, Happen in the marketplace are very important for you to understand where you can where you should be positioning your portfolio depending on the backdrop of the market. Now let's take a look at some market news. Uh, f- every penny of increase in the price of gasoline takes about a billion dollars out of the economic pie, and of course, when gas prices go up, there's a ripple effect. Uh, If you ever look at the correlation between gas prices, and UGA is a good symbol for this, the ETF, uh, and dollar stores, they tend to be inversely correlated. So when gas prices go up, what happens? Well, gas spending is a larger proportion of your lower income people, right? So if gas prices go up 20%, that's going to hit the budget of your low income people citizens, much more than you will the wealthy. So the amount they spend at 99 cent stores certainly is going to be affected. So you see this yin and yang, just like you see the yin and yang between uh, housing prices, or sorry, housing home builder prices and the interest rates that's prevailing in the market, right? Because the market's always looking forward. If interest rates are dropping today, they're going to start being more optic optimistic. The market's going to be more optimistic about the prospects for housing stocks going forward. So, gasoline at the pump is now averaging two dollars and seventy six cents per gallon. That's f- up fifty three cents from just three months ago. If hit four dollars a gallon in San Francisco, and where is it the lowest though? Uh, Arkansas, two dollars and sixteen cents. The highest, Furnace Creek, California, five dollars and forty nine cents. The best day of week to fill up for gas? Mondays, earlier in the week. Most Americans fill up at five p.m. on Friday, right, to get out and go on their trip for the weekend, and that's usually when you pay more and you have to wait longer. I think that's a pretty interesting stat. Save a few dollars here and there, but certainly will help you over time. Now there's more and more evidence of expanding retail. Ice Age, Bed Bath and Beyond took a hit today. Let's see what the stock was. Yeah, down five six percent today, and the company experiences first sales decline in three decades. Three decades. Now their margins have been declining for a while, but finally they're sales year over year uh, are now declining. UBS says that retailers are in big trouble and that 21,000 stores are apt to close over the next year. Now the transformation is caused obviously by Amazon, but as a group, millennials are doing the move to online sales and millennials want convenience, right? In the age of Uber and, and DoorDash, we want it delivered straight to our door. And if you are going to stay in business, you need to innovate. And Macy's, annou- Macy's has announced it's opening 36 stores, in-store theme boutiques. theme boutiques. And an example would be a reserve space in a store where a color theme was on presentation. And Macy's CEO says brick-and-mortar brick retailers can no longer just be transactional. They have to be experiential. And we've been saying this for, for a while. If you are going to succeed in the age of Amazon, you are going to have to, you're gonna to have to bring something to the table than just the product. You're gonna need some sort of experience. Now Best Buy has changed their model to kind of store within a store. Right? These brands rent out spaces within the store and basically they're renting that foot traffic that Best Buy gets. And I think that is something that really could be the future. And that's what malls are going to be. They're going to be an experience as opposed to just a lineup of stores. Now as the Lyft IPO, I don't wanna say plummets, but Let's just call it plummets. They're down to $61 and change. One analyst has said Lyft should trade closer to $59 a share. I don't really care about what the analysts say. Fifteen billion. He thinks there's a $15 billion valuation. I think it's more like a $5 billion valuation, maybe. And I think it's going to be hurt even more with the news that Uber IPO is coming. They're going to seek a valuation between 90 and and $100 billion. This is going to be... A disaster, I think. So, uh, once again, don't chase these IPOs. Lyft was a good example of why you don't chase an IPO. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. John, you there? Yes, hi. You're looking at Mercury, Um, Mercury Insurance, right?
3: Yes, um, I like it for the dividend, and I'm wondering if you think the dividend
4: is safe going forward.
2: All right, let's take a quick look at Mercury Insurance. Uh, I used to be a Mercury Insurance customer, but uh, not not currently. Uh, I always liked them, they were a good company. Uh, so let's look at the numbers. For everyone out there, they offer automotive insurance, including private passenger, commercial auto coverage in California and 11 other states. yields about 5%. And let's look at some of the, the deeper dive data. Very minimal debt. Enterprise value is actually lower than its market cap, so net uh, cash on its balance sheet, which is not uncommon for an insurance company, uh, yields about five percent. Cash dividend pay ratio is only thirty-nine percent, which means they're producing plenty of cash to pay that dividend. So I do think their business is uh, that dividend is fairly safe. Very low debt. Um, it's not you know a fast-growing company. Revenue was actually down five percent year over year. Earnings were actually negative last quarter, but uh, that was a kind of a one-off event and let's look at it technically. Uh, Technically, it's come down from a high around $62 a share, and it's now around $50 a share. We actually own this for some clients in our Equity Income Plus program. What we do is buy the stock, collect that 5% dividend, increase our yield by selling it out of the money covered call, I forget the strike. I think it's fifty-two fifty right now. It's at fifty dollars and thirty-two cents. So we like it. Um, I do think it's relatively undervalued. A very solid business with very low debt, nice dividend. So I like what you're looking at with Mercury General. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, John. No problem. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I've got a save the date reminder for you. Steve will be returning to San Jose, California, on May first. So if you live anywhere in the Northern California region, I encourage you to reach out through our website or just through our 800 number, 800-557-5461. That's our office line. And you can schedule an appointment, sit down with him for a no-cost portfolio review consultation. Space is limited. It's May 1st, just coming up in a few weeks. So make sure you get your appointment in because it does fill up. You can register now at investtalk.com, but now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART.
0: It's a fast moving Invest Talk. We're already into the second week of April and you want unbiased investing guidance, right? Of course you do, because it can help you achieve financial freedom. And Justin is here now serving up that timely advice live. So step up with your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, eight eight nine nine two four two
2: seven eight. 4278 So you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 40 minutes left, so I encourage you to call in sooner rather than later. A lot of people try to call right in the last five minutes and sometimes we don't have time for everybody, so try to call sooner rather than later. Now our main talking point today is about the Russell 2000 and this is an extremely important index to follow to understand the direction and technical strength that it is having uh, and it'll give you a strong indication of whether the next overall broad move in the market is going to be higher or going to be lower. And while the S&P is fairly close to its September high, September, October, I don't know the exact uh, month. It was right at end of September, early October when it peaked. And... If you look at the Russell 2000, however, it's still down about 10%. And if you're uh, on the YouTube live stream, I can uh, pull up the the Russell uh, RUT or IWM if you want to look at that. And you can see it's still well, well below the highs from September. And you run a Fib retrace on it as well. You're right around the 618 retrace and the 200-day moving average. So even... If this index so far this year isn't even on its high for the year, even though the sh- market is still very strong. It, it actually peaked back in February and still has, is having trouble reaching above that level right around 1600 on the Russell. And now why is the Russell so important? Well, a couple reasons. One, it's a much broader index, right? It's a very, very broad index. It is a little more has a little more weight in the banking sector, which is a very strong indicator. Actually, I'm going to pull this over for YouTube live streamers. I, I was covering it. Uh, you, it, it has a large percentage of its makeup of banks. And banks are very cyclical. And if banks are not doing very well, and you see that with XLF, then the overall market's not doing that well. Okay, So the fact that it's lagging so much is telling me that this rally is... Probably lying to you, lying to the rest of the market, uh, because I like to look at the broadest index as possible, and that's what this is. Eighty-eight ninety-nine chart. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. This is Invest Talk.
0: This is Invest Talk. Your decision-making process can benefit from practical and unbiased advice if you consult with Steve or Justin. And on May 1st, Steve Peasley will be in San Jose to offer complimentary portfolio review consultations. So don't miss this opportunity. Register now at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here now taking your questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
2: 99 888-99 chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven. Let's go to Evelyn in Oakland. How are you doing, Evelyn?
4: Hi, Jason. Um, my question is about Halliburton. Burton. Um, it doesn't okay. seem to be doing well. It used to be went anywhere from twenty something to fifty something, and I think it's about thirty right now. I I was wondering, you have any opinion about the future of this company, Hella Burton?
2: Yeah. Well, the reason it was trading at those levels, 50-60, because it was making back in 2012, 13, 14 time frame, it was making 3 or 4 dollars a share. 2019, it's only supposed to make a dollar 35, and next year it's only supposed to make two dollars and nine cents a share. So their earnings are, are are down, obviously because of where oil prices have come. Now oil prices have come up, and now their pricing power seems to be a, a little bit better, and they're probably going to make a little more money. So that's a positive. It's start things are starting to turn around. Now they do have a good amount of debt. About $8 billion in net debt, which, you know, for a $27 billion market cap company, that's not too crazy. Operating earnings yields 10%, that's solid. Return on equity 18.8, also a very solid number. So I actually kind of like it. That 2.3% dividend, it's not gonna get anybody on the income side super excited, but it excites me. I think 2.3 is a nice solid dividend. Payout ratio is only 38%. Cash dividend payout ratio is only 56% all very solid numbers and I like oil I like oil with this economic backdrop that we're that we're seeing right now even though the economy is slowing uh, I, the demand for oil continues to grow continues to grow and uh, the the marginal cost is not too much below where it is now so I really like uh, oil for the next uh, three six months or so and that's the big question is what is your time horizon for Halliburton Evelyn You there, Evelyn? Or is she gone? She dropped. Okay. So if you're looking for the next three, six months, you know, I like Halliburton. Where we are by end of year, I think that will be a a different question for Halliburton. How well it recovers, how well oil prices recover. Where are we economically? Are we still seeing a a recession on the horizon? You know, the, the current outlook doesn't show a recession right in front of us, but you can kind of see it out there on the horizon. Um, and if that maintains the case and it's even closer at the end of the year, then maybe I don't like Halliburton as much. But in the next three, six, maybe nine months, uh, I'm okay with Halliburton. So good call, nice income, uh, decent value for Halliburton at these levels. 888-99-CHART, eight eight nine 4278 Let's talk a little bit about financial wellness. Financial wellness. And this is a term that's being thrown around a lot in the retirement world. And when I say retirement, I mean the 401k world. And 90% of large and mid-sized companies are now offering some sort of financial wellness program as an employee benefit. So it's no longer saying here, here's a 401k and here, this is, these are your investment options and this is all you need in order to reach your financial goals long term. What they're saying is, now you need help for, with other aspects of your life as well. Uh, and I want to help you with that too. So financial wellness isn't just about your income and your net worth uh, or even just your, say your credit score. It's really about keeping the stress that money has on your life to a minimum and the big reason for that is for on an employer standpoint is if you're stressed about money you're probably not going to perform very well in your job right so they want you to keep that financial stress at a minimum and then you want to be able to earn enough to uh, or sorry living consistently within your means. Having some sort of emergency fund that can fund your lifestyle if, say, you get sick or hurt or laid off. And then reducing your debt, which kind of goes into that financial stress. Usually debt creates financial stress. And then having a plan to meet your longer-term financial goals. So going back to living within your means, this is where you must start. Why? Because if you are consistently living outside of your means, that is going to consistently create problems financially, whether that's adding on debt, digging into that emergency fund, just creating stress overall when it comes to money in your life. So living beyond your means is really the surest way to erode your ability to meet whatever goals that you might have. So you need a budget. You need to sit down, where's your money going? And make sure that you are living within your means. So if you have to do that exercise. I know it's not a fun or exciting one, but it's something you need to do. Then you need to have an emergency savings, three to six months of, of those living expenses that you just figured out. Put that in some sort of safe investment like a money market account, CD, etc. Reduce any high interest debt that you might have. And even minimize low interest debt if you can. And then create a plan. Sit down with somebody like myself, like Steve. Figure out how much you need to save to reach whatever goal that is. Whatever financial freedom looks like for you. And model that out. That's what we do for clients. Actually, that yesterday for a big client. Now tomorrow on Invest Talk. The US is slowing, but expansion will almost certainly break records. We're gonna talk about that. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART.
5: You know what my husband and I really want? I mean, after years of working and
2: saving and investing, we want financial freedom. Financial freedom to do and live as we want, without worry. But our old 401k plan, it's out of date. It can't truly be working for us.
1: You're listening to someone who would benefit from a personalized portfolio review, the kind of unbiased advice and sensible investment strategies offered in a no-cost preliminary consultation by KPP Financial.
2: Sure, we feel confident about some of our investment decisions over the years, but retirement will get here someday, and we should cover our bases now.
1: Get a valuable second opinion on your current financial picture. And KPP Financial doesn't impose unnecessary products or services so you can make informed decisions with your money. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking and shared success. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. Contact KPP Financial.
5: KPP Financial? Okay.
1: Learn more anytime at kppfinancial.com.
0: This is Invest Talk made possible by KPP Financial, where they implement a very practical investing philosophy, independent thinking, shared success. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. And now Justin's here taking your calls, so step up with your questions 888 99 chart.
2: 888-99-CHART, Eighty-eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 We have 20 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call in, do it ASAP. Let's go to Bill in San Rafael looking at Tata Motors, correct?
3: Uh, no. My question is regarding a inherited uh, portfolio of stocks.
2: Oh, okay. Go for it.
3: <laughs> uh, what happened was my wife Uh, and her siblings inherited from their dad, who died last year, a a portfolio, pretty good size, and they're getting ready to, they got the stepped up basis, and so the the, the the stocks were held in trust. My question Mm -hmm. to you is, are those stocks, you know, they they basically become theirs now, when they go to, Mm -hmm. they want to sell to liquidate and distribute equally. Is that a is that a long term capital gain still, or is it because everything changed? Does that become a short term capital gain?
2: I believe it's going to be if it's within twelve months of that step up. When did the, when did he pass away?
3: Yeah, the the step up happened in December.
2: In December, uh, then. Yep. I'm not an accountant, <laughs> to be honest with you. So okay. I actually haven't okay. had, never had that question, but I would imagine yeah. that it would be a short term because of that oh. stepped up basis, right? Because okay. it's a new okay. holder of that of that asset. Um, but once again, that's more of a right. question for a CPA because um, we've we've never actually had that question.
3: Right. Okay. Well, I'll find out. I'll, I'll check back with you when I when I get that answer from the CPA.
2: <laughs> yeah that would be fantastic. I, I actually have never approached that, uh, that that question to be honest with you. Um, well yeah, because the market's yeah, had a just, nice
3: little run up here since basically mm-hmm. December 20th. And so in a good-sized yeah. portfolio, you know that's that's a few a few dollars of capital gains they're looking at.
2: Yeah, that's true. and you know, depending on where uh, they they stand on the, the capital gains uh, uh, hit you know or or, or their income level. Uh, that could be a, a big difference. So definitely, I'll, I'll do, maybe I'll do some research on a break and try to figure that out, Nick, and I uh, can get back to you. Great. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for the call, Bill. Let's go to Rom in New Jersey. I think he's the one that's looking at Tata Motors, correct? Uh,
4: yes, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, thanks for so making my it. question to you, Justin, I, so I've been in this name for a while, uh, and I think I first did my purchase around the $16 mark and then it went up, and then I and then I bought some more, and then it went down, and I bought a lot more again. But now it's had a nice run up. Uh, I still want to be long the name. They had a couple of issues with regard to uh, you know sales on their Jaguar Land Rover unit, as well as the whole Brexit fiasco and the overall market crash. But now it looks like the company is turning around the corner. I wanted to get your take, both from a fundamental and from a technical standpoint, uh, on what you think about the name. If I'm looking at, or holding it for at least another couple of years.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, we actually, uh, we do like the name uh, ourselves. We picked it up in our discipline equity strategy late last year. Um, so we do like that that value, relative value, and uh, technically it's gotten a lot better, right? Its low was at $10.29 in February, and now we're at $15.59. So you're talking. Uh, about a 50% rally from those lows, which is obviously uh, uh, fantastic. And a 50% rally from almost any level is going to give you a much stronger uh, technical picture. Now, on a weekly basis, you know, I like to s- s- step back a little bit. And on a weekly basis, you are into that 50 week moving average, which it's kind of found some resistance over the past. Uh, you know year year and a half or so and so it's it's at a pretty strong inflection point I think if it can break above this 50 week moving average which is going to be at $15.85 a share then I think this has much more room to the upside, probably into the high 20s. To be frank with you, um, I think there's a lot more up, at least the low 20s. So um, I like the fundamental backdrop. I like the technical backdrop. Um, you know, I don't love the car industry, but I do like uh, the Indian economy, which is, uh, I think, performing. Uh, its trajectory is uh, going up as opposed to a lot of other emerging markets like China, that's actually trajectory is going down. So uh, I like what you're looking at, and uh, I would continue to hold Tata Motors. Thank you so much, for the call, Ron. No problem. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I understand that many investors can experience fear when they are unsure of how much their portfolio uh, is at risk, depending on many factors. Right? The market has dozens, if not hundreds of different factors to consider. Also, how does it fit in context to your retirement strategy or your financial freedom strategy? So my advice is to take our free risk questionnaire at investtalk.com. Steve and I will be able to use those results and compare that to your portfolio and figure out which, what works best for you. Are you taking too much risk? Not enough risk. Where do you lie? Are you doing it just right? You won't know until we help you figure it out. Our show is well underway, and we are taking your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
0: This is Invest Talk. Made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news, sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So, you should be thinking about subscribing. You'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The Invest Talk Radio 1 podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888 Chart.
5: Hey, guys. My name is Bill. Longtime listener. Uh, about a year I've been listening, about a year I've been investing. 24. So pretty new to the game. I'm looking to take your advice and buy some ETFs. I already have some ETFs. I already have some stocks. But my question is about the strategy. Like at what point, how do I know what's a good time to buy a certain ETF? And what should my time frame of the investment be? I hear a lot of guys on the talk show talking about five to ten year investment plan or two to five year investing and then selling out. But um, I'm more of a fan of buy and hold, you know, long-term investing. So uh, what would be some good stocks for long-term investments over 10 years? And at what point do I buy them? And then at what point do I sell them? Uh, I look forward to hearing your response on the show. Thanks, guys.
2: Well, that is a question, that's the age-old question. When do you buy? When do you sell? How long do you hold? That's the holy grail of investing questions. So uh, I understand why you have that question, but it, it's something that is going to be different for everybody. Now, you're a long-term holder, so, or a long-term investor, it sounds like, but what you have to understand is, are you really? I hear that all the time. Do you understand how many long-term investors I had calling me freaking out in 2008? Almost all of them. Okay? So first off, what you have to understand is that you are an emotional person. Why? Because you are a human being. Some are more emotional than others. Some are less emotional than others. But you are an emotional being. So understand that when you say that you are a long-term investor, if your portfolio goes down 60%, are you still going to be a long-term investor? If your $50,000 turns into 20000 in the span of 18 months, which is kind of what happened in 2008, are you going to hold? Now, everyone's say, yeah, of course, a hold always comes back. Well, it's come back quick and much stronger than I think anyone expected. Hindsight's always 2020. So understand that if you say you're a long-term investor, you must stick to it in every single market. Okay. Then you have to. I can't sit here and tell you what to buy, right? I do think everyone's over-indexed. Too many people are in index funds. The next recession is going to be, or downturn or uh, bear market is going to be much stronger than you've ever seen, I think, in the past because everybody is in index funds. And those people, like I said, that were long-term holders are no longer going to be long-term holders when everybody and their mother's rushing for the exits. So what you have to do is Look, is create a a portfolio that is well-diversified. You have REITs, you have large cap stocks, you have small cap stocks, you have foreign stocks, you have maybe, I don't love preferred shares, but you have corporate bonds, you have a diversified set of assets. And you find the best way to allocate yourself to that particular asset class. Now for large cap stocks, that might be an index fund. But for corporate bonds, it's probably not going to be an index fund. Okay? So understand the difference. Understand yourself. And stay diversified. And stay investing consistently. Dollar cost average in every single couple weeks, month, whatever that is. And stick with it. And if that's the strategy, if you want to be a long-term investor, that's what you got to do. Okay? Now, if you want to... Earn above-average returns. It's probably not the best strategy, but you're going to have to be more hands-on. Let's go to Tim in the Bay Area. He's looking at Air Castle.
4: Hey Justin, thank you for taking my call, and thanks for the unbiased show. No problem. Show. Thanks for making it. It's hard to find those. Sure.
2: Appreciate
4: it. Um, so yeah, I own Air Castle, and. Um, I like the company, they pay a solid dividend and they increase it every year. Um, uh, But I sold the covered calls on it uh, at 20. Uh, It's gonna expire next week. Mm. And it's right at that age, at that range. So I'm wondering whether I should buy it. And I would buy it for a profit, very small profit. Or uh, if I should just get it exercised. It's two thirds of my position.
2: Yep. Um, I, I I don't love Air Castle. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the debt on the balance sheet. Uh, it's about a two billion dollar market cap. They have about or one and a half billion dollar market cap. They have about four and a half billion dollars in debt, and technic, and it's while they're increasing their payout ratio, their cash flow isn't supporting that. So they're gonna ha- they're they're having to continue to add to their debt level which I don't like. And if you're uh, watching our YouTube live stream, you see I have Y charts up and you see the upward trajectory since 2015 and go back even further. Let's go back 10 years. Yeah, uh, since over the past decade, it's just that continues to go higher and higher and higher. And they're continuing to add debt to pay this dividend. So I don't think this dividend is sustainable long-term because no dividend is can be funded forever with just debt. Uh, So that's why I don't like it. And then you go to the chart and uh, you see the chart and while this recent rally from the lows the end of last year with the overall market has been, was initially strong, it's kind of started to peter out a little bit. So I'm, I would rather get this called away from me and move on. It's making lower highs and lower lows. It's in a downtrend. And I just don't like that backdrop technically, as well as the debt picture. So I would stay away or reduce or get rid of your position in Aircastle.
4: Isn't the the line of work that they're in, which is leasing airplanes, is that somewhat forgiving for how much debt they have? Or is it still too much?
2: I I think it's I think it's too much. Uh, if they were producing enough cash flow for it, I would I would understand. Uh, and if the technical picture was stronger, I might say, well, the chart's telling me a different story. Um, uh, but the and the sector that they're in, aircrafts, are very cyclical, right? Just look what happened to Wow Air. Remember Wow Air?
4: No, I don't. <laughs>
2: Okay. So, Wow Air was uh, operating in Iceland and they just filed for bankruptcy, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago. Um, so, oh, okay. in a, a tough, tough economic environment, they, this, they're leasing aircrafts, right? And so, what happens in a bankruptcy is suddenly Aircastle becomes a creditor. And now they have this aircraft that's sitting on their balance sheet and it needs to be leased out. And if people are traveling less and taking less business trips, because the economy is lower well they're going to be sitting with aircrafts that are not producing any revenue so it's a very cyclical business with a lot of debt that continues to go up and they're not producing very strong cash flows so i understand what you're saying they do need and uh, they need to put put on debt to borrow money to buy planes and then lease them out and that's their business But it also creates a very cyclical business, and I don't like that in this environment, and especially with that backdrop of the technicals. Got it.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for the call, Tim. And then going back to Bill, I did a little research at the break uh, when it comes to long-term gains on inherited shares. It is long-term. All of that's going to be long-term because the acquisition was over a year ago. Even though they get the stepped-up basis, they're going to be paying long-term capital gains, which is great for you and your family. And if you need help or you want to talk, they want to talk about which ones they should sell and why and how and what the strategy is, don't hesitate to reach out. Just send me an email. Go to investtalk.com, hit contact Justin, and that will go straight to me, and I'll get back to you sometime next week. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that is to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break, so get your questions in now. We're going through the last segment. Give me a call at 888 99Chart.
0: Next Invest Talk, according to a Federal Reserve vice chair, the U.S. is slowing, but expansion will almost certainly break records. That story tomorrow. But now Steve is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call 888 99Chart.
4: Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Robert from Flagstaff, Arizona. I was just wondering about what you think about ticker
2: ABBV
4: alpha bravo bravo victor as a long-term buy and hold i like the dividend and what you've taught me about the payout ratio makes me think that it's probably sustainable but i was hoping i could get your thoughts before i pulled the trigger anyway i appreciate everything you do thanks
2: All right, he's looking at AbbVie, A-B-B-V. They develop Humira, pharmaceutical biologic treatments for rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, and Crohn's disease. Yields about 5.2%. Their payout ratio is 98%, which is a little high, but their cash dividend payout ratio is 43%, which is rather on the low side. So they produce plenty of cash flow to pay out that dividend, which I like. And the reason I like to use the cash flow because earnings can have kind of one-off events, Right, one-off random things that change uh, the earnings trajectory. Now, earnings are expected to be eight dollars and sixty-nine cents this year, versus two ninety. Sorry, seven ninety-one last year, and nine dollars and forty-three cents next year. So certainly positive growth trajectory. I like that. Let's look at their debt levels because you look at a long-term investment. I want to know are they burdened with a lot of debt? Uh, about 25 billion dollars or 35 billion dollars, excuse me, in net debt outstanding on their balance sheet. Return on assets about 8%. That's pretty solid. If you watched our Invest Talk Academy lesson last uh, yesterday, you will understand what I'm talking about with return on assets and how that is calculated and why that is very important. So that's a, that's a solid number. So I like it overall. I like that the trajectory of earnings, uh, even though sales have decelerated some. Let's take a quick look at that. Decelerated from to seven percent year over year, as opposed to about a year ago, it was growing about fourteen percent year over year. So you have a high single digits, low double digit revenue growth, and a high twenty percent to forty percent. Uh, earnings growth trajectory, which I like all of those factors. So, uh, you know, drug companies can get kind of complex, right, because of just how, how interesting the political environment is. And I've talked a little bit lately about that, about how uh, drug companies are under threat for pricing. So I would like to see what t- type of growth in pricing they've had and whether they're pricing unrealistically. Uh, and I think that's the biggest risk here, is politically, if they crack down on the pricing for their type of drugs, do they make sense? Uh, And that's what I would really need to be understanding. Now, I'm looking at a chart, ABBV, and if you're on the YouTube live stream, uh, I will be able to show you what this looks like. You're in a falling wedge pattern, falling wedge pattern on the monthly chart, which I like, but it's also it's also consolidating bearishly. So I don't like that. So the fundamental backdrop is solid. The technical backdrop doesn't look so hot. Uh, If I'm looking at the monthly, I'm looking at the weekly chart. It's uh, MACD still remains weak. I just don't I don't love it. I think it it's trying to act like it wants to break below this. So the fact that the technicals are not lining up with the fundamentals and then I see that backdrop uh politically of that things could go wrong with drug pricing, I'm going to pass on it for now. Uh it's not safe enough for me to get too excited about it. Thanks for the call. Let's talk a little bit about goals, about your financial goals and uncovering what your real goals are. And I think this is a great article from Morningstar. They did a study, they did some research, and they said, okay, give us your top three financial goals. And most people t- said goals that were a top of mind. Like if your friend went on vacation, you want to really wanna go vac- vacation, then you said something like that, right? But if you pick from this list, this master list, you are a lot more effective in finding the goals for you. And I'm gonna list these off. To be better off than my peers, to pay for personal self improvement, going back to school, etc., to experience the excitement of investing, to start a new business, to buy a house, to help pay for my kids' college education, to stop working and do something I love, to go buy a dream home, to relocate in retirement, to care for my aging parents, to give to charity, to feel secure about my finances in retirement, to feel secure about my finances now to leave an inheritance to my loved ones, to retire early, to pay for future medical expenses, to not be a financial burden to my family as I grow older, and to manage my debt. That's kind of the master list. And typically, if you go based on that list, you're more apt to achieve something substantial as opposed to just listing what's top of mind. So I thought that was a great article. I'm Justin Klein and this completes another Invest Talk program and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Tomorrow is Friday and Steve will share his highlights from the KPP premium newsletter. Good night.
1: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.